Ready to go. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. I'm glad you could be here with us. Today, we're going to be reading in Luke 7, uh, verses 36 through 50, so I want you to follow along if you can. Remember when this whole thing started, all this pandemic, when it started, it, we viewed it as a time of rest. We viewed it as a nice break. Well, as time goes on, rest is getting changed to unrest. It's becoming more and more restless. And the verse that keeps popping into my mind the more I look at social media and the news is what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. God's children are peacemakers. And I feel led to exhort everyone, all the believers out there, to be one of the peacemakers in the midst of this. There's lots and lots of division right now. Lots of fingers being pointed, lots of insults. You know, there's lots of disagreement. Should we, should we reopen? Should we stay closed? Should we wear a mask or should we not wear a mask? I feel called to ask you to be the one that calls out for listening and dialogue, even in the midst of diverse thoughts and disagreement. To maintain peace even when we disagree. We all have two ears and one mouth, and it's there for a reason. So I'm asking everybody to continue to be patient, to be compassionate, to be merciful towards each other, and to be slow to anger. And we do this because God is that. It says in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay, repay us according to our iniquities. So as a reflection of who God is, be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Today's story in Luke is a direct illustration of God's compassionate love. How life-changing God's compassion is. Do you remember the time that you, were, you received his love and forgiveness for the first time? How great and marvelous it felt. Uh, this story will illustrate that, how, how amazing God's love and forgiveness can be. Uh, but it's also an illustration of how uncomfortable it can be. So let's pray. Lord, we are about to read your word and... I pray that you help us to have understanding. We don't want to miss the message that you have for us. And so I, I pray that you help us to hear you, to listen to you. I thank you for your word and that it shows us who you really are. I, I pray that you help us to see that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're in Luke 7. Verses 36 through 50, the story of a sinful woman who's forgiven. Let's read. Now, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither one of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Well, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In our story today, we have Jesus. We have this Pharisee named Simon. We have this woman who has a reputation in that town. And and then there's us and the audience sitting around the table listening to this going on. And if you remember from last week and the week before, we've learned that the Pharisees have some strong doubts about who Jesus really is. They did not resonate with the way he was doing things. Jesus wasn't doing things the way they did things. He wasn't doing things the way they thought he should do things. And they went so far as to call Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. And to top it off, their highest criticism of him was that he was a friend to these tax collectors and sinners. And those were people that, in the Pharisees' minds, were people reserved for God's wrath and judgment. And Jesus was aligning himself with them. In their minds, he was the furthest thing from Messiah. Apparently, they knew better than God, right? And at best, in their minds, Jesus could have been a prophet because of the power of God going out from him and the miracles that were happening. But they weren't even too sure about that. And so one day, perhaps on the Sabbath, like after synagogue, after church, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to be his guest at his house for a meal. And so these meals, the way it's set up is that there's a table in the middle of the room and there are couches surrounding the table. The guests would recline on a couch with their head at the table and their feet away. 
And it was also common that in this room, an audience would be allowed to come in and sit along the walls of the room so that they could listen to the conversation of the people who were, having, who were sitting at the table. So that's what it looks like. And then verse 37 shows us, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. So in walks this woman into this room, the one with the reputation, the one who had lived a sinful life. There's no specifics about what she was doing, about the sin in her life. Perhaps she had a child out of wedlock, you know, or perhaps some speculate that she was a prostitute. There is no specifics given in it, and so they don't really matter. Otherwise, they'd be mentioned here in the story. The thing that matters is what she's doing right now. She learns that Jesus is at Simon's house, so she goes and she gets an alabaster jar of perfume. You know what alabaster is? It's this stone uh, used to make carvings, uh, but it's, this one is holding perfume. It's a container holding perfume, and it's the expensive stuff. It's the good stuff. It cost her a lot to get this stuff. And she comes directly to Jesus with this, and she's weeping. Why, Why is she weeping? What is this about? In this whole story, she has no words. She's just weeping. The word for, re- for weeping here means she's raining tears. Tears are flowing out of her eyes like raindrops. Enter the story with me. Can you imagine seeing this? Can you see the tears dropping from her eyes and hitting Jesus' feet? And can you imagine the sound of this grown woman weeping? The sobs, the weeps. The tears are raining on Jesus' feet, turning the dust on his feet into mud. And this is this is at a meal. This is supposed to be a dinner, right? And this is happening. And, and she, she unties her hair and she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And, and then she starts to kiss them. She kisses Jesus' feet. This is no ordinary kiss either. The description of this kiss is the same description that is given later in the book of Luke. When the, pro, when the son, uh, excuse me, when the father kisses his prodigal son who has just returned. It's that kind of a kiss, I've, like, a, like I've missed you kind of a kiss. And she pours perfume on his feet. Can you, can you see it? Can you hear it? Listen, we have the sounds of weeping going on at this meal. We have the visual of the tears and the mud and the hair. And the kisses. And now we have the smell of this expensive perfume overtaking the room. And some would describe this scene as, as beautiful, as bold, as shocking. But the Pharisee is clearly uncomfortable with this. He doesn't like it this thing that's happening at his house. Verse 39 says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus 
he saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So perhaps the most uncomfortable thing to this Pharisee is is not this woman doing this, but that Jesus is letting her do it. You see, from a very early age, Simon was taught from all those in authority in his life that you don't touch a sinner like her. You don't let her touch you ever. She makes you unclean. Stay away. Keep those people at a distance. Stay pure. Stay clean, right? And she wasn't just touching. She had her hair on him, and she was kissing his feet. And so he says to himself, if he were a prophet... If he were really from God, he wouldn't be letting her touch him because of what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, the Pharisee knows this woman. She's not really a stranger. She's, he knows her reputation. He's heard the stories about her, right? And he makes the assumption that, that Jesus should have the same perspective and belief as him. But he learns that Jesus sees things differently And for him, it's extremely uncomfortable. You see, as the readers, as the audience, we now know from the the book that we we can assume that Jesus knows what she has done. He knows all about her. We believe that Jesus is God. The Pharisee didn't know that at the time, but, but as an audience, we get that information. We know that Jesus actually knows what kind of woman she is, And he is letting her do this anyway. And he uses this, Jesus uses this to teach Simon a lesson. And he gives him this parable. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He says, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither one of them had the money to pay him back. So... He canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Let's back up to the parable for a minute. The parable has obvious parallels in it, right? So who is the money lender in the parable? It's God. Who is the one with the lesser debt? It's, it's Simon, the Pharisee. And who is the one with 10 times the greater debt? It's this woman. And the story is that neither one could repay this debt. And the money lender canceled their debt, which was very out of character for a money lender to do. That's a ridiculous idea. And perhaps that's why Simon sounds so reluctant to answer Jesus' question. 
He canceled the debts of both. Which one will love him more? I suppose the one with the bigger debt. I suppose. Dude, it's obvious. I think in Simon's mind, that kind of thing would never happen. It's unheard of for a money lender to just cancel debt like that. But Jesus wants to point something out to him about God that he doesn't quite realize. He starts to compare the two, this woman and Simon. They both have debt of sin. He says to Simon, you did not wash my feet with water. You know, that's a tradition. It's a, it's a, it's a gesture of hospitality. It's not a requirement in the, in the law or anything like that, but it is a sign. It's a minimal gesture of hospitality to wash your guests' feet when they come in or have their feet washed when they come into the house. But she wet my feet with her tears. You know, and, and if you do any kind of research on tears and what God thinks of our tears, you will be surprised. Tears are so important to God. They are very precious to the Lord. Look it up. You did not greet me with the kiss. Again, this is like a standard greeting like you see on the movies. You know, hey, it's good to see you. Hey, thank you for being here. It's a blessing kiss. You did not give me even that minimal gesture of hospitality, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. And you did not pour oil on my head. Again, this is just a minimal gesture, a small tradition of hospitality, of of blessing with inexpensive olive oil. But she has poured perfume, expensive perfume, on my feet. But why is she weeping? Why is she doing this? Is it guilt? Is it gratitude? The parable illustrates that sometime earlier, maybe it was that day, maybe it was earlier that week, she had heard the good news that her sins are forgiven. Her debt was canceled. She heard, your debt is canceled. The weight of that debt has been lifted. Her actions are because she's grateful. She loves. She's forgiven. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, as I read this, to be honest, the way it's worded here sounds like two things simultaneously. One is she's forgiven because she's come to Jesus and she's loved him. And it also sounds like she's loving him because she's been forgiven, right? She loves him much because she's been forgiven much. And I I think the only one who really seems to know what's going on in everybody's heart here is Jesus. I love this woman's boldness in this story. She enters a house where she is unwanted. She enters into a, a group of people who don't like her. And all eyes are on her. And she just goes right by them all and goes straight to Jesus with no pretense. There's no pretending with her. It's all out in the open. She gets real. And Jesus delights in it. Jesus delights in her. He is with her in this. He stood up for her, right? And she 
is the one who goes with peace from God. She has been forgiven much and she loves much. But those who have been forgiven little love little. Does Simon love little? I don't doubt his love for God. I just see that he he doesn't think that he's that bad. Right? Because outwardly a Pharisee would appear to love God a lot. They are exemplary. If they were here today, we would think that they are very close to God, that they love God very much. They are charitable. They have a great knowledge of God and the scripture. They put us all to shame in the knowledge of the word. They live a sacrificial life. They fast often. They practice hospitality. They practice generosity. His life was dedicated to serving God. So what is he missing? What is he missing here? Don't you think that Jesus is trying to get Simon to see that he's not so different from the woman? In God's eyes, Simon very devout follower of God and this woman who has lived a sinful life are not so different. Can you believe that? They both have a debt that they both can't repay. They both need the debt canceled. Whether it be 50 or 500, they, neither one of them can repay the debt. They need grace. They need forgiveness. You know, as I thought about this, passage as I've thought about this situation with Simon and and his view of the woman and Jesus in this interaction, the question that keeps coming to my mind is, why are people so drawn to Christ like this woman, but they're not so drawn to the church? Have you noticed that? People are very, they they like Jesus quite a bit, but then when it comes to Jesus's followers, they're like, eh, I want to keep at a distance. Does does grace have something to do with that? But this this story is not about Simon, about what he's missing. You know, here in this moment, he obviously didn't think very highly of Jesus, and he didn't think very highly of this woman either. And this story is not primarily about this woman, even though what she does is exemplary to us. It's very authentic and beautiful. This story is about Jesus. It's about God. Jesus offers us all grace, no matter if your sins are many or if there are few. He cancels the debts of both. And it's not by our lives dedicated to him that he does this, not by our works. It's all by his grace, and it's for all who will believe and put their trust in him. Do we understand this? This has to be very clear in our life. And now, how will we respond when we see it happening to those who have lived a very sinful life? I think the picture that uh, is in my imagination is what the story could have been, what the story should have been if, if Simon had also had faith in Jesus. Just imagine what this story would have looked like. If Simon had also been blown away by the grace given to him by his debt that was canceled, 
they could have all shared in her tears with her, right? Just think of everybody in that room, around that table. They could have now just been sharing in her tears and, and then started walking out the life with this woman who's, whose life has just been transformed by the grace of God. They could have invited her into community with them. And, and just think of all that knowledge of God sitting around that table, all the things they could show her about God in her new life of peace. That's what it looks like. That's what it needs to look like. That's the image I want us to walk away with today. It's this idea of, of a community that could surround someone like this and now help them to walk out the rest of their life with the Lord. Because that was just the beginning. That scene at the table was just the start. She has the rest of her life to walk it out with Jesus. And she needs a new community around her to help her to do it. God wants us to not look down on others. He wants us to look at others with eyes of compassion. I know it's challenging. But that's what we see in this story. So, will we make the adjustment? Will we change? We can't ask God to change. We have to be the ones to change. Will we adjust our life to God's life? Will we learn to see things from his point of view? Will we learn to see ourselves and to see others the way God sees us? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Whether our sins are few or our sins are many, your grace extends to all who will believe. And Lord, we all put our trust in that. Help us to have eyes of compassion. Help us to be merciful and slow to anger as you are. Help us to abound in love towards outsiders and towards those who are in life with us. We thank you that you have given us grace. Now help us to extend grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I leave you with this benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Now go in peace. Let's go be the church. Ready, set, break.